You're listening to our Southside Baptist Church podcast. For more audio content, please refer to our website. This is baptistchurch.com. Genesis chapter 34. And it's interesting because I have left my notes undoubtedly in the de- on the desk. So, uh, Sheila, uh, yeah, I guess you could go and look. I know where they're at. They're in a book I plan on using to quote on Abraham Lincoln. So I'll let you do that. While she's doing that, take your Bibles. Turn to Genesis chapter 35, beginning, beginning at verse 1. We looked at this last week. Uh, you know, two weeks ago, we looked at the rape of Dinah, who is the daughter of Jacob and Leah. And we looked in Genesis 34, where Simeon and Levi, her brothers, went into the village or the community, the Hivite territory, and they massacred, they killed all the men, all the boys in that territory. And at the end of that, Genesis chapter 34, if you remember, there was, uh, there was a battle or a struggle between, um, thank you, ma'am, between Jacob and his son Simeon and Levi because Jacob said, you've, you've, you've made me a stench in the nostrils of these people. You, you've brought conflict. And you remember what they said to Jacob. They said, should our sister have been treated like a prostitute, like a whore? And if you remember, um, it's a very, very tense time in this family. This family's gone through a great trauma. But how the father handled it, how the sons handled it, everybody looked this way. Neither one of them were right. And you remember we said this, your children, people are watching. If you're a Christian, they're watching how you react to evil or something, an injustice, or something you know to be wrong. They want to see your reaction. Let me give you a classic example. You're in an office, you're among your peers, you're around people, when all of a sudden somebody tells an extremely off-color, inappropriate joke. They're watching to see if you're going to laugh. Sometimes they'll turn to see your reaction. What are you going to do? Are you going to laugh? Are you going to get quiet? Will you say something? How will you respond? Jacob did not respond in an appropriate way, but neither did Simeon and Levi. So this is a very tense time. And then last week we looked at Genesis 35, verse 1. Then God said to Jacob, after all this has happened, God says to Jacob, go back up to Bethel. Now everybody remember, Bethel is where he met God. God says to him, in the midst of this crisis and this trauma, you need to get back where you used to be. You need to go back to when you were saved, when you gave your life to Christ. You need to go back to that moment. Go back to Bethel. He said, and settle there. Don't settle here in this Hivite territory. Settle there and build an altar there to God who appeared to you. Go back to where you know you need to be, settle down there, build an altar, and get your life right with Christ. Verse 2, So Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, Get rid of the foreign gods you have with you, and purify. Now watch this. What does he say? Wait on the Holy Spirit to purify you? 
He says, purify yourselves. Change your clothes. Then come and let's go up to Bethel where I will build an altar to God who answered me in the day of my distress and who has been with me wherever I have gone. So they gave Jacob all the foreign gods. That's his family. They had and, and the rings in their ears and Jacob buried them under the oak at Shechem. Verse 5, then they set out. Now watch this. Remember last week, when you and I are living in obedience to God, everything can begin to change in our life. Now watch this. Then they set out and the terror of God. Now remember, what was Jacob afraid of after Simeon and Levi had done what they had done in the Hivite territory? He said, you've made a stench to the nostrils of these people. We're few in number. And they're going to wipe us out. Jacob was living his life in fear. And my friend, Bible, the Bible never says that. The only one we fear is God. But now, what is Jacob? Once he's in obedience, doing what God's called him to do, it's said that fear, a terror of God, a terror of God fell upon all the towns all around them so that no one pursued them. Wow. That's obedience. Let's pray again. Lord, we love you. We praise you, God. And we give you the glory for what you'll say in this sermon. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. I titled this sermon, When You Can't, or won't let go of hurt, okay? When you can't or you won't let go of hurt. Because I think we're going to look a little bit at more in the life of Jacob. Now, I, I bought a book. It's called The Totally Awesome Book of Useless Information. Let me read that again. The Totally Awesome Book of Useless Information by Noel Botham. And when I opened this book, it said, now listen to this, it said that when a bat exits the, you know what's so sad? Some of you, this is the only thing you're going to remember in the whole sermon. When a bat exits a cave, it always goes left. Okay? So there's your little bit of trivia. Marge, you can use that tomorrow at work. A bat, when it exits, exits a cave, will always go left. A rooster will have to extend his neck fully in order to crow. Now, that's just useless information, isn't it? But let me tell you, I want everybody to hold your Bible. If you got a Bible, if you don't, you need to get one. I know you use a Bible app. Hold your phone if it's on the Bible app. If you're on Facebook, shame on you. But anyway, this is not a book of useless information. Everything in this Bible, the Bible is God-breathed, God-inspired, and is profitable for reproof, for correction, for instruction in how you and I are to live our life. This is our biblical worldview. Now, let me go back to the title. When you can't or you won't let go of hurt. Anybody there? Somebody hurts you, something's happened in your life, you just can't let go of it? You just can't move on? You, you, you can't let go of it? Now, I wrote this down. Let me give you an answer to that. The reason sometimes you and I can't let go of hurt is because it leaves scars, right? 
In fact, something can happen to you and I. It's painful for a moment. We eventually get over it, but the scar's still there. We're a scab, and every once in a while, we'll do like we did when we were kids. We'll pick the scab off. Let me give you an example. On my arm is a scar, and the scar happened this way. My dad and I were building a fence. I, had, I was pulling the bob wire. You, anybody, everybody know what bob wire is? I'm pulling the bob wire, and to be honest with you, I, I, though it was winter and I have a long sleeve shirt on, flannel shirt, I had somehow wrapped the bob wire around my arm to pull it as tight as I could. Well, at a certain point, the stress on the wire became so great that I couldn't hang on and it ripped around my arm, ripped my shirt, and ripped into my skin and left a scar to this day. I mean, I can tell you, I can, I can show you the scar. Now, Sheila, she may not want me to use this one, but Sheila, for the longest, her two front teeth were shorter than the others. You may say, well, that's just the way she is. No, Sheila was playing as a child and hit her teeth on the monkey bars, and when she did, it broke the, both of her front teeth. Our dentist just here recently, we ate with her a couple of days ago, fixed that problem. But she was scarred. When Amy was born, our firstborn, uh, she was difficult to deliver. And I'm glad Bethany's not here. I don't see Megan, so we got a couple of pregnant women. I'm glad they're not here for this. But she was difficult to, to, to give birth to. And we wanted to have a big family. We didn't want a C-section. And so the doctors finally pulled out, a doctor. He pulled out forceps. Now, I've delivered. I've been around working with an ambulance service, but I've never used forceps. And he used these forceps, and he went in, and he got a hold of Amy's head, and he began to pull her out with these forceps. Now, I want you to know everything in me. I wanted to faint. And when Amy was finally delivered, I'll never forget, the doctor looked at Sheila and I, and he said, forgive me when you see her tomorrow because she will be severely bruised. Everybody looked this way. She didn't have the slightest bruise, none whatsoever. In fact, everyone said she looked like the Gerber baby on the old Gerber baby commercials. Now, I say all that to say this. You and I get hurt in life, right? That's part of life. In the world, you'll have tribulation. People are going to hurt you. You and I are going to be wounded through life. And, and the reality is, is that it's kind of like my scar. When that happened, I went to the house mom or somebody we doctored that up changed the bandages had a scab on it but eventually it got well but the scar is still there now let me tell you when i see that scar i don't remember it the way you might think i do when i see that scar i don't think about the pain of that bob wire ripping into my skin I don't think about the pain and the blood and the torn shirt when back then you couldn't, shirts were hard to come by. I don't think about any of that. You know what I think about? I think about my dad and I. We were out there on a cold winter day. Air was crisp. 
We were building that fence, and we were laughing and talking and fellowshipping together. My dad left Florida to go to the farm life of Mississippi. He bought 25 calves. He went out on a limb. We lost 11 of those calves. We lost it to... Uh, to pneumonia, to scours, to some of the things that plague trying to bottle feed calves. And, and there were a lot of tough times. I remember an Angus Holstein that I had. Nancy will understand this. She comes from that kind of world. But I had, a, I had an Angus Holstein, uh, a black calf that I raised up, and that cow full grown would come up and rub up against me like a kitten, like a pet. And when I look at that scar, I think about all the good times that I had growing up from the time I was 13 until I went to college and that kind of life. You see, you and I will either interpret the hurts and the pains of our life in a positive way or we'll do it in a negative way. We'll, 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 we'll hunker down into that hurt. And I want you to see this. Jacob is a bruised and bruised broken man. In fact, I want you to take a right. I want you to take a right, and I want you to look. I think it's, uh, I think it's Genesis 47. I want you to look at how Jacob sums up his life. In Genesis 47, verses 9 and 10, watch this. Verses 9 and 10, I want you to see this, if I can find it. Joseph, now everybody look this way for a moment before you read, before we read. If you remember, you remember Joseph's brother sold him into slavery, Jacob's boys. Jacob had a lot of problems with his kids. You think sometimes, man, it's tough being a parent. I got a problem with my kids. Hey, listen, God has a problem with his kids. Jacob had a problem with his. He had a rough bunch of kids. In fact, the brothers got together, and what they did, they threw the youngest brother, Joseph, into a well, and then they sold him to, to Ishmaelite traders. And you remember, Joseph is, ends up down in Egypt. And remember, he lives in, in, in prison. He has all this heartache, all these bad things happening to him for 12 years of his life when all of a sudden God brings him up out of prison, God puts him back on his feet, and God says, I'm going to do something great through you. But you remember, eventually, Joseph reveals his identity to his brothers, and then he sends for Jacob, his father, and his brothers and his families to come down to Egypt because there's a famine in the land, and they come down to Egypt. Joseph takes Jacob, his father. They've just been reunited after 12-plus years. All of a sudden, they're, they're reunited. He takes Joseph, Joseph takes Jacob to meet Pharaoh. Now look at Genesis 47, beginning at verse 9. Jacob is meeting Pharaoh. Fair, well, let's look at verse 7. Then Joseph brought his father Jacob in, presented him before Pharaoh. After Jacob had blessed Pharaoh, and Pharaoh asked him, How old are you? And Jacob said to Pharaoh, The years of my pilgrimage are a hundred and thirty. My years have been few and difficult, and they do not equal the years of the pilgrimage of my fathers. You know how Jacob summed up his life? He said, my life has been filled with a lot of pain, a lot of heartache, a lot of suffering. My life has been difficult. It's not been easy. In other words, his bruise, his brokenness, what had happened in his life made him in many ways the man that he is now. 
You know, I wrote this down. Your bruise, your hurt, your pain can become your blessing. Did you know that? The bad that's happened in your life, the things that have happened in your life can one day be used by a sovereign God to the Lord Jesus Christ can become your blessing. What was bad, what was heartache can become something good if it is put into the hands of God. Look, take a right and go over to Romans 8, 28. In Romans chapter 8, verse 28, watch what Paul said to the Romans. Many of these people were living in bondage and slavery to the Roman Empire. Paul said in Romans 8, 28, and we know that in what? Romans 8, 28. And we know that in what? Now turn to your neighbor and say that. All things. I love Betty. She turned and looked and said, all things. I could hear her. And we know that in all things, Paul is writing to men and women who are living in slavery to the Roman Empire. He's writing to the underground church. Paul is going to prison. He's already been in prison. One time, he'll be in prison again. Paul will ultimately be beheaded before he reaches my age. And yet Paul said, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who what? Let me ask you a question. Do you love Jesus today? Do you know what Jesus Christ says to you when you and I love him? He says all things good, bad, ugly, good things that have happened, bad things that have happened. All of that hurt, all that pain, God says, I'm going to use it for your good. That's what he's saying. For the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. God has a plan. Look at Genesis. Look at Genesis 50. Look at Genesis 50. I love this. Genesis 50, verse 15. Because Joseph eventually dies, and we'll get to that. In, I mean, Jacob eventually dies, and we'll get to that in a minute. Because Jacob blesses his sons, and we're going to look at that. But after Jacob dies, his brothers who had uh, betrayed Joseph and put him through all this heartache and all this pain and all this hurt, listen, you know what they, everybody listen, look this way. His brothers are afraid that after their father Jacob has died, that now Joseph, who's second in command to Pharaoh, is now going to retaliate and get revenge against his brothers who brought all this hurt. So watch this. In Genesis 50, verse 15, if you're there, say amen. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, now watch this, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us, pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? So they sent word to Joseph saying, your father left these instructions before he died. Everybody listen. Do you think that Jacob really left any instructions? No, I don't think so either. Your father left these instructions before he died. This is what you are to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now please forgive the sins of the servants of the God of your father. Boy, don't you like the way they worded that? When their message came to him, everybody look. What happened to Joseph? What does it say? He wept. 
had long since moved beyond the pain and the hurt. He had found forgiveness in his heart. He recognized that God was sovereign, that God was in a plan and a purpose for his life, though it made no sense whatsoever. Now watch this. Joseph wept, but then look at verse 18. His brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. Verse 19, but Joseph said to them, what is the first thing he says? Do not be afraid. Am I in the place of God? Now watch this. This is healing. You intended to harm me. But God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done for the saving of many lives. So then don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your family. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. Wow. I mean, everybody listen. How did Joseph, how did he see the pain, the hurt, the injustice, the betrayal, and all the things that had happened to him that were so unfair? How did he see that? He saw that as a divine God orchestrating and watching over Joseph and even through that hurt God says Joseph I got a plan and a purpose for your life watch what I'm going to do now that's healing basically what he said is what you meant for harm God meant for good You know, there's, there's, there's peace, there's healing in that. I wrote down here that, um, you know, I went through a hard time in Natchez, and you've heard me tell this story, and I'm not going to tell it again. But do you know that the pain and the hurt that people brought into my life in Natchez over the race issue? Do you know that the pain and the heart, everybody listen, young people listen. These men were threatening my life. This was a difficult time for me. I ran fever just from nerves in some of these meetings. But you know what God said? He said, I got a plan and a purpose for your life. And you know what it was? Because I was obedient to what God wanted me to do, though people hurt me, though they were trying to kick me, fire me out of the church, putting all kinds of heartache. I was checking. I was telling somebody yesterday, I was checking my vehicle for bombs. But the reality of it is, is God said, I got an adventure for you. Let's go to Africa. And I went to Africa, and I went to England, and I had some adventures. And if you ask my kids to this day, what are the greatest moments in your life? They'll all tell you Zimbabwe, Africa. You see, um, sometimes people hurt us. Sometimes things go wrong in our life. But when we begin to see that through the eyes of a sovereign God and realize, do you know that when I came back, the man who would not shake my hand, the man who was with the KKK, 
I know that for a fact because his kids, when they buried him, cleaned the house out of his parents and they had all kinds of KKK material. He hated me. That man, three, four years when I got back, I was doing the funeral in that church in Natchez of a friend of mine. Their, her mom had died at the end of that funeral as I was out there and we were getting ready to get in line and go to the cemetery. That man, a senior adult, was running, crying, sobbing, saying, Brother Jeff, Brother Jeff. And he came to the car and he wept at the car of the family that was going to bury their mother. He wept and cried and so bad, said, Oh, Brother Jeff, I'm so sorry. I was so wrong. Forgive me. You know what I did? I hugged him and said, called him by name. I said, I forgave you a long time ago. You know what the problem is right now in this country? Douglas Murray says it in this book called The War Against the West. He says what happens a lot of times is we want to overreach. We want to overcompensate. A lot of times we don't want equality. We want to beat the other person up. We want to get revenge, retribution. You know, you'd see that in Zimbabwe. Sometimes it wasn't a matter of equality. It was a matter of reaching beyond that. Why? Because that comes from bitterness, anger, unforgiveness. Jacob, Joseph had moved beyond that. He said to his brothers, he said, listen, you know, let me, let me give you an example. I wrote this down. Some of you had great childhood, some of you did not. Some of you had good parents. Some of you had parents you wished to God you'd never seen. Some of you, your parents loved you and spent time with you. Some of them neglected you. And some of you are already nodding your head because you know what I'm saying is the truth. You know my background and you know what I came out of. But let me tell you how you know when you've got healing. It took, a, it took my doctorate it took my counseling. It took my going back to my mom. It took me sitting down with my mom and understanding her hurt and beginning to understand her hurt in order for her, me to understand how she had hurt me. Let me tell you how you know when you're healed, especially from a parent who's hurt you. It's when you do this, when you laugh sometimes and you look at yourself and you go, and I do this. Sometimes I laugh and say, well, I guess I'm a little bit like my mom. There's healing in that. But now we come to Genesis. Look at Genesis 49. Because I want you to see this. Jacob is about to die. And in Genesis 49, verse 1, Then Jacob called for his sons and said, Gather around me so that I can tell you, watch this, what will happen to you in days to come. Now everybody look this way. Jacob calls his sons together. He gathers them, them together. He's about to die. Debbie, you understand this with your mom, where she called all of you in and spoke into each one of your lives. Sometimes she spoke uh, good things. Sometimes she spoke things that were painful to hear. Corrective. We're saying something. If you don't change, this is what's going to happen. This is Jacob. 
Jacob is speaking to his sons. He's about to die. In fact, I wrote this down. The patriarch was dying. His sons are gathered. The armies and the saints of old lean over the banisters of heaven as this man, Jacob, is about to speak truth into the life of his sons. When I read this, and I've told you this before, I read this one day, everybody listen, sometimes God will reveal something to you in your devotion time, in your prayer time. It's as if he hits you on top of the head and, he say, and, and you never forget it. And I was sitting in the dining room, sitting in that little breakfast area. Everybody had left. I was sitting alone. I was reading Genesis 49. And I was reading in some of the old King James it says that Jacob called them together to bless them. And in that particular translation I was reading, Jacob was getting ready to bless his sons. And then he looks at Reuben and says, Reuben, you're as unstable as water. He looks at Simeon and Levi. You're men of violence and I wouldn't come into your home. And I'm sitting there reading that. And out loud, I said, God, that's not a blessing. And my friend, in that moment, I felt the presence of the Lord all around me. And the Lord said something I'll never forget as long as I live. He said, truth is always a blessing, no matter how painful it may be. Jacob was trying to save his sons, his children, from deep heartache and pain. But they needed to listen to him. Truth is always a blessing no matter how painful it is. Hang on to that. I wrote this down. Most people protect themselves from voices of truth, right? I mean, every man knows that. When she says, how does this look on me? You're sitting there going, do I tell her the truth? Or do I lie? Do I tell her what she wants to hear? And the same wives could be said about your husbands. Most people protect themselves from voices of truth. Others refuse to listen to voices of truth. Let me tell you something. There have been people that have said things into my life. Now watch this. Let me tell you. There are people that will say things into your life. Now I want you to listen. That will hurt you. Now, let me tell you the process here. First, you're going to get angry. I can't believe they said that to me. It makes me so angry. They're one to talk. They've got their own issues and problems. Well, you know, so you get angry. Then you get hurt. Start thinking about it, mulling over. If you're not careful, you get bitter about it. Everybody listen. Young people listen. The third step, if you don't do this, you're going to have a, hey, listen, I'll go ahead and prophesy. You're going to have a miserable life if you don't do the third one. You know what the third one is? But is it true? This person said something and made me angry. Then the more I thought about it, the more it hurt me. But then I asked the question, but is it true? Because sometimes God is in the process. You know what Adrian Rogers said? He said, I'd rather say a truth that hurts you and then heals you rather than a lie that given time will harm you and kill you. You know that? I'll risk telling you the truth. Tragically, you know what we do? You know what we do? We go through our life. We put people around us that tell us what we want to hear, right? And we don't grow. 
we we never learn. You know, some people say, well, you know, my some well, some man will tell me, you know, well, my wife is my accountability partner. She she no, that's not true. That's a lie. First of all, your wife knows nothing about the the struggles of sexual pornography. She doesn't know anything about sexual temptation and sin, not to the level you men do. She'll never understand it. That makes sense to her. And God knows don't let her be breathing all that into her sons because a man can far better walk his son through those kind of things. But a man will say that. Well, she's my accountability partner. And I always go, no, that's not. First of all, she doesn't understand what it is to be a man. Secondly, she's not going to tell you the truth anyway because you'll get mad and pout and throw a fit for two days. Right? And hey, don't, and some people say, well, you know, my boss, my boss again, my boss will say some hard things. And no, you'll go home and boohoo about it. And your wife will say, well, he just doesn't understand who you are. You're a good man. No, you're a lazy, good for nothing bum that spends all your time milking the clock and not doing your job. And you need to be fired. And you know what your wife really wants to say? Truth is, you're a lazy, good for nothing bum. And I'm surprised the boss hasn't already fired you. Because I can't even get you to pick up your socks, you bum. But I can't tell you that because the reality is is you'll pout and make the whole household miserable for a week because you heard the truth. Most of us do not want the truth. You know, when you read this, Genesis 49, we'll close in a moment. Then Jacob called for his sons and said, Gather around so I can tell you what will happen to you in days to come. Assemble, listen, sons of Jacob. Listen to your father Israel. Reuben, you are my firstborn, my might, my first, the first sign of my strength, excelling in honor, excelling in power. But listen to this. Look at verse 4. Turbulent as the waters, you will no longer excel. For you went unto your father's bed. He slept with J- Jacob's concubine. At the time that Jacob had lost Rachel and was grieving. Boy, that's a real son, isn't it? He said, you're turbulent as water, you'll no longer excel, for you went up into your father's bed until my couch and you defiled it. He says to Reuben, hey, listen, you can go back and check it. You can look through the Old Testament. If I had time, I'd take you. You know what? Reuben was as unstable as water, and so were generations after him. If you don't deal with the problems in your life, and become the man or woman that God intends you to be, hey, listen, it is just going to reverberate through generation after generation after generation. You're a bum, your kid will be a bum. You got a drug problem? Sons and daughters have drug problems. You got an alcohol problem? Just passing it on to the next generation and the next generation. Well, they're fine. They, They don't know. I keep it from them. No, you don't. They know exactly what you're doing. You can't fool them. You're living in sexual promiscuity, flirting around in your marriage with other people. It's just a matter of time before you'll blow it out of the water and destroy not only your marriage, but your children, your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren, your great-great-grandchildren. Hey, listen, that sin will reverberate long after you're dead and gone. Unless you repent and put it in the hand of a heavenly Father who says, okay, for all Well, what did we say? For what? All things? Wait a minute. You mean that? Yes. Hey, it doesn't get any better. Look what he says about Simeon and Levi in verse 5. Simeon and Levi are brothers. These, their swords are weapons of violence. 
Let me not enter their council. Let me not join their assembly. For they have killed men in their anger and hamstrung oxen as they pleased. Cursed be their anger so fierce and their fury so cruel. I will scatter them in Jacob and disperse them in Israel. You know what he said to Simeon and Levi? He said, you're men of violence. You've got a short fuse. You've got a temper. You can't control your temper. And I can tell you what you're going to do. You're going to be volatile, unpredictable. And you know what Jacob said as your dad? I'm not even going to come into your house. Hey, Dad, you don't deal with your temper. Mom, you don't deal with your temper. It's just a matter of time before Junior blows up. Those of, I'm not talking about you, Junior. Before your son or your daughter blows up one day and does something really stupid and gets himself killed. What do we say? Truth is always a blessing. But if you protect yourself from truth, if you don't allow people to speak truth into your life, if you're always running your mouth, if you know it all, you know a lot of young people, they know it all. Hey, let me tell you what you don't know. Some of you uh, yet to have children, you don't understand that. Some of you have not married, you don't understand marriage, you don't understand children. You don't understand what it is, a colicky baby in the middle of the night. You don't know what it is to pick up your toddler and be running to the ER because you're wondering whether they're breathing or not. You don't understand what it is to drop your child off the first day of school. You don't understand what it is when they're a teenager and they're out late and you're sitting there and it's 1 a.m. in the morning and you're wondering whether they're dead or alive. You don't know whether your son is sleeping with his girlfriend or not. And you don't know whether she'll come up pregnant. You don't know whether your daughter is becoming a pure moral young lady or whether she's just giving herself to anybody that'll give her the time of day because dad didn't have no time with her. You don't know what it is to go to college and to drop them off and hyperventilate when you leave because you're just so sick because you're leaving them in this alien environment and you're worrying yourself sick as to what will happen to them. You know nothing about when they finally look at you one day and they bring a person into your life and they basically are saying, this is the one that I believe I want to spend the rest of my life with and you're scared to death. You don't know what it is to have grandchildren. Some of you, and you don't know what it is yet when one of those grandchildren have a problem and you're watching your child grieve through raising that grandchild. You know nothing but you keep running your mouth and act like you do. Every one of us, every one of us, including me, we all need voices of truth that tell us the hard things in order for us to be everything that God intends us to be. Jacob looks, you know what he, it, he, 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 he Reuben, you're in unstable as water, Simeon and Levi. You're, you're, you're men of violence. He goes down through here. And, and, and what is interesting is Simeon and Levi listen. The tribe of Levi becomes the priest. Right? Levi thought, God, oh God, I don't want that to happen to me. And he became the leader. Spiritual leader. Simeon. I love Simeon. You know what God did with Simeon? He pulled him into the tribe of Judah. The Messianic tribe. Reuben. 
He didn't listen. You know, there's a, there's a series called Blue Bloods. And I may be getting a little bit of feedback here on my... There's a series called Blue Bloods. It has Tom Selleck in it. And, and it's a story of Tom Selleck, who plays this Frank Reagan, who is the police commissioner for New York City with over 35,000 law enforcement officers that he's responsible for. His daughter is the assistant DA, and all of his family are involved in law enforcement. But there's a strange part of that show, if you ever watch it. Frank Reagan is this man who's governed by principles. He can't be bought, not even his own kids. He's as tough as nails. He's by the book. But he also has three people, two men and one woman, that they come into his office, and they are the voices of truth. And man, it can get hot and heated. I mean, they'll get mad and some of them will get mad and storm out of that office. Some of them get angry. But it's in that environment that Frank Reagan is the best leader. We all need that. We all need that. We all need that in our life. Let me ask you something. Do you have a life coach? Do you have a life coach? Now, I'm not talking about your spouse. I'm not talking your, about your BFF. Do you have anybody that you've given permission to come into your life and speak truth into your life, to ask the hard questions? Do you have anybody in your life that you, that you respect, you look at them, and you say, hey, listen, uh, you've already been down this road. How do, what do I do here? How do, I, how, how do I be a better wife, better mom? How do I be a better college student? How do I be a better child, a better son, a better daughter? Whatever it is, I don't know what it is. Do you have a voice of truth in your life? Do you have a life coach? And let me say one more thing, and I want you to listen. You know why some of us have such a poor devotional life? You know why we have such a poor devotional life? You remember what I said? We, we, we don't like truth. We steer clear of truth. We steer clear of truth about us. We don't mind being a voice of truth, but we don't want a voice of truth. So we kind of protect ourselves from those people who may speak truth in our life. We keep them at a distance, or we disqualify them, or we discount what they're saying. This is the ultimate voice of truth. You know why some of us don't read it? Because it's too convicting. Because let me tell you what this does when I read it. It's God taking a microscope almost, looking deep down in my heart, looking deep down in my personality, and just sometimes say, you know, just like that incident in Genesis 49, reading my Bible by myself and simply hollering out loud. And I do that quite often. Me and God kind of have that kind of arrangement. Through my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, sometimes I, I, I just I get upset when I read the Bible. There's some things I don't like. And, I, and you know, I just out loud, God, this is, not, this is not a blessing. And God said, truth is always a blessing. Let me close with this. It's out of a book on Abraham Lincoln. Young people, let me remind you of something. Don't never let anybody and the left or the woke or whoever tried to tear down the fact that Abraham Lincoln was an unbelievable man. 
truly one of the great leaders of all time in all history. The only time I heard anything different was from the manager of 99 Jam or whatever it was because they were playing some filthy music about a man having a mother and a daughter and some kind of whatever. And I went over and confronted him and he got on Abraham Lincoln. I thought, well, you ignorant fool, you don't know nothing. But listen to what Abraham Lincoln, Abraham Lincoln was coming to power. He was getting ready to be the president of the United States. And he was getting ready to start working toward the Emancipation Proclamation, the freeing of the slaves. It was said that southern delegates were putting a lot of pressure on him. And it was said in this book here that one southern delegate suggested to Lincoln, everything now depends on you. Now what he was trying to do was intimidate Lincoln, who was about to be the president. Listen to what Lincoln said. He replied, I cannot agree to that, because he knew what the southern delegate meant. He said, I cannot agree to that. My course is as plain as a turnpike road. It is marked out by the Constitution. I am in no doubt, I am in no doubt which way to go. Suppose now we all stop, stop discussing and try the experiment of obedience to the Constitution and the laws. Don't you think it would work? In other words, you know what Lincoln said? Lincoln said... Uh, he said, let's quit discussing and talking. He looked at that southern delegate and he said, we know what is right. We know what is morally and ethically right and we know what the Constitution stands for and what it teaches. Let's quit talking about it and let's start living it. And my friend, like Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., he too gave his life because there were those that hated him for his stand. May we never diminish those kind of men, black or white. And what Lincoln said is true. Let's quit discussing and talking about this. Let's start living it. Let's start living it. Let's stand. Our Heavenly Father, we just come to You. And Lord, in some ways, I feel like I may have rambled a little. But Lord, uh, a few weeks ago, You just laid that life, the life of Jacob on my heart. I don't know why, I don't know for what reason. But Lord, I thank you for this great patriarch. This man that God, the, our Lord Jesus Christ, pre-incarnate Christ, at the Jabbok River in that moment in Genesis 32, when the angel of the Lord, when Jacob cried out, clinging to Jesus, bless me. And the angel of the Lord Christ said to Jacob, what is your name? And Jacob said, My name is Jacob. I'm a deceiver. I'm dishonest. He said, The angel of the Lord Jesus said to Jacob in that moment, as Jacob clung to him like a toddler sitting on the feet of their dad and holding and clinging to that leg, as Jacob clinged to the to the body of Jesus Christ, the pre-incarnate Christ in that moment. Jesus said, you'll no longer be called Jacob. You shall be called in the Hebrew, Israel, Israel, Israel. For you have wrestled with both men and God and prevailed. Wow.
Lord, we've looked at this man. We've, we've seen the good, the bad, the ugly. We've watched him battle as a parent, struggle. We've seen rebellion and confusion in his family. We've seen his sons sell their brother to slave traders. We've seen their, his daughter raped in a Shechemite village. We've seen a lot of bad things that have happened. But in the end, as Joseph said, and I think he spoke for Jacob as well as himself, all these things you meant for bad, God used for good. Lord, help us to see that. Help us to look back over our life and to realize when we repent of the mistakes and the failures and the problems that we brought into our life, that when we can repent and we confess and we put it into the hands of a sovereign, holy God that loves us, that he rolls up his sleeves and says, okay, now let's turn this bruise into a blessing. Let's take this scab and turn it into a scar that will remind you of my love, my mercy, and my grace. May we never forget one day when we get to heaven, the Bible said there'll be no more tears, there'll be no more pain. Everybody look this way. My, my scar on my arm will be gone. Whatever scars on your body will be gone. Sorry, but your tattoos will probably be gone, Dave. There'll only be one set of scars in heaven. Miss Betty's right. Every time you go up and fellowship with Jesus, every time you get bugged, every time you sit there in his presence, you'll look as those two men on the road to Emmaus, you'll see those nail scar dance. You'll see his feet, those nails, those scars. And you know why he'll carry that through eternity? So that every time you and I see him, we're just going to smile and go, thank you, Jesus, for loving me. Thank you, Lord, for loving me. Thank you, Lord, for saving me. Thank you, Lord, that your scars mean my salvation. And it only does when you repent and give your heart and your life to him. And all God's people said, amen, you come, you come. If Christ has spoken, if you're not saved, you come. Give your life to Christ. You need somebody to pray with you. Ladies, here's Sheila. You come. You need to go to the altar. You come today. May never be a moment like this moment. Ask Ledge and Russell and some of these others if they want. They can come. Stand here. You come. May never be a moment like this moment. God may never speak as clearly as He's speaking right now. You come.